according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Amen. Thank you, Andrew. Every week, just about, I have the privilege and the joy of preparing a message from the Word of God. And every week, I find the Word of God speaking to me and challenging me. And every week, I have this burden about what I've been thinking about. This week, I have a particular burden. I'm thinking this week, I've got this sense of, I just want you to understand what I'm talking about. I want you to understand what I believe the scriptures are teaching about mission. And uh, so I I perhaps have a greater burden in that sense. And there's a lot that I'm going to be going through today. So I hope you can hang with me. And I hope you listen discerningly because some of what I say may disturb some of you. Um, And you need to listen discerningly. And with your asking that the Spirit would guide you, shaped by the Word of God. So let's pray and ask for help as we come to this topic today. Father God, we thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, that it speaks truth, that it speaks to our lives, that it speaks of your glory and your greatness and your love in the Lord Jesus. And we pray that as we look at it today on this topic of mission, that you would speak truthfully to us by your spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm starting, as (coughs) Eric said, a series on mission. Alan Stibbs wrote, uh, wrote a few books a few years back. He wrote this. He said, Worldwide evangelism was from the first and still is the chief task of the church militant here on earth. The chief task, world evangelism. There's a, another quote that I heard when I was younger. I didn't find it written down, but it went something like this, that the church is the only institution on, on earth that exists solely for the outsider. Jesus said to Peter and Andrew, when he called them, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Reeling them in, if you like, drawing them in. The great rallying cry of the church, as I've heard it so often, the, we call it, the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, it's just got this title, it's not in the Bible, but we've given it the title, The Great Commission. Jesus said to his disciples, before he leaves to return to the Father, all authority on in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The Great Commission. 
Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we find the early church and the Lord Jesus saying to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Rahan spoke on that passage a few weeks ago. And when we look at the story of the early church, the, the gospel, the message of Jesus spread like wildfire. These great missionaries, people spreading all over, and we are to continue that work. You see, the Christian life and Christian church is to be shaped by mission, and I agree with that. But I have to ask, what does mission look like? I'm going to give you a trivia question here. We've done some trivia recently. Here's a trivia question. How many times in Paul's letters does he explicitly call his readers to evangelism and mission? Is it zero? Is it 5, 12, or 24? Well, have a bit of a think about that, and I'll give you five seconds, then I will introduce you to the answer. The answer is A, zero. Nowhere in Paul's letters does he explicitly call his readers to get involved in a mission and evangelism. Nowhere is it commanded. In John's letters, zero. In Peter's letters, Zero. Now you might argue about a phrase here or there, but that explicit call, and even if you're arguing about those phrases, there's maybe Philippians 1, maybe Philippians 2, maybe parts of Romans 10, or maybe Ephesians 1 Peter chapter, even then it's just, it's, it's just kind of lost in all the rest. There is very, very little in the New Testament urging us, particularly in the New Testament letters, addressed to how Christians are to behave, calling them to evangelism, or to mission. So I'm going to challenge you. I think Alan Stibbs is wrong. The chief task of the church is not worldwide evangelism. I think that phrase I heard is wrong. The church does not exist exclusively for the outsider. They're wrong. Evangelism is not our main task. Christ did not die for us so that we might be his megaphones. Jesus did not die so that we might be an NBN cable of the gospel. So that we might get the data from here to there. There are many images in the Bible of what the church of Jesus is. The church of Jesus is a flock of sheep. It's a vine, a fruitful vine. It's a body, the body of Christ indeed. It's a temple, a building, a holy temple. It's a family with sons and daughters. Not one of those images suggests that we are a conduit of information or a megaphone. In fact, not one of those images is proactive. Not one of those images suggests you've got to be doing like, why, why doesn't he say, Jesus, we were a train? Why doesn't he say that? We we're a bunch of chariots. There is one image that I want to draw to your attention, particularly this morning, that you, the, the Bible uses of what we are, the church. And that is, the church is the bride. The bride of Christ. Not a very masculine image, but you boys can deal with that, I know. You're getting married, right? I'm going to talk to the fiancé, the bloke. I say, so why do you want to get married? 
Why, why this girl? Well, I always wanted someone who can cook for me, and I've always wanted someone who can clean the house well. And it's, when I come home from work, I'm often a bit wound up, and I like to have somebody to talk to. So I want to want someone who I can download my hassles onto. And I want someone that I can wake up with in the morning and look at them and say, that's quite attractive. I've always wanted to have children, and I think she can do it. And my home decoration skills are less than they could be. I'd like a girl who can help me decorate the house. That is why I want to get married. It's all about what she can do. And you say to yourself, girls, well, there's a catch. I've got to get that boy, hey. Because I can just do what he wants me to do all the time. Why do you want to get married? Here's what I would hope, you blokes who aren't married yet, here's what I hope you'd say. Because I want to know and be known. I want to share. I want to be united with somebody. I want to glorify them and bless them as they seek to glorify and bless me. I just want to enjoy her. Who she is, the way she is. I want to serve her. I want to seek her best. And any of the, any of the doing that happens should flow out of that relational glorying basis, loving basis. Just to be. The church is the bride of Christ. Jesus died for us, not so that we might do, but so that we might be. What are we to be? Let me take you to Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul speaks about the church as his bride, as Christ's bride. Ephesians chapter 5, husbands, he's talking to husbands. Husbands, love your, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless, the bride of Christ, radiant and pure. Revelations chapter 19 refers to the church as the bride. Towards the whole end of the Revelation story, the gospel story, with the victory of Jesus. John says, I heard a great multitude like the war of rushing, roar of rushing waters and like the loud peals of thunder. And they were shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Here comes the kingdom. Let us rejoice and be glad and give God glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. The fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. The radiant, holy, blameless, pure bride of Christ. Clothed in righteousness. Glorious in her being. The glory and delight of the Lord Jesus. That is the church. The church's chief task, our chief task is to glorify God through the glory of Jesus, through our radiance, through our beauty, through our perfection, through our being, so that we might be with our Lord and Saviour. That's what it's about. 
The passage Andrew read for us from Ephesians. I'm only going to make a brief mention of that, just as one time. I just want to highlight a few things. Ephesians, too many Bible notes today. I've got to find them all. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. This is all about God's great purposes, what he's doing for his people through his son Jesus. His eternal purposes for his people through Christ. Verse 5. He predestined us, the church, to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. For what purpose? To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. All of God's purposes for the praise of his grace. Verse 11. In him we were chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works at everything in the, to the conformity of his purpose and will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. As the radiant bride. Having believed, we were marked in him with the promised Holy Spirit, who was the deposit, guaranteeing the inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's of those who are God's possession, to the praise of His glory. We were called, we were chosen, we were purified, we were brought into the church for the praise of His glory. Simple. We're the bride of Christ. In chapter 3, verse 10, Paul writes of Ephesians, God's intent was now that through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Through us, God's wisdom and power is to be made known. That's God's purpose, that he can bring his bride to himself. Verse 20 of chapter 3, Now to him who was able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Our church has a mission statement. We don't promote it very heavily or very often. This is our church's mission statement. This is what we're about. We are about glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. That is our mission. That's what it's about. The glory of of God. How do we glorify God? Well, here's the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. Come on, bookmark. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to his disciples, You all, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the same in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. As they see your good deeds, your righteousness, your radiance, your purity, you will glorify your Father in heaven. And light shines. It's just what it does. The glory is out of the being, not out of the doing. And I'm trying to do something. You know, how that, you know how our glory should be shining? One of the ways the Bible draws attention to? It should be shining as we manifest unity even out of our diversity. That's one of the ways we shine. That's special. That's what Jesus is doing in making his bride. 
Romans chapter 15, verse 5 speaks of this. And I think this is so exciting for our church because we're a fairly mixed out bunch. We've got a great way of showing the glory of Jesus. Romans chapter 15, verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity amongst yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the Lord God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. As we are unified in Christ, different though we may be, we glorify God. We fulfill our mission by being unified in diversity. That's exciting. I think that's exciting. Last week I spoke from Romans 13 and I said the passage is about being who you are in Christ and being who you will be in eternity. That's our mission. In fact, if you go throughout all of, almost all of Paul's letters, they have a fairly similar structure. Paul tells them about Jesus and tells them about the gospel message and how, what God's done to save us through Jesus. And then he gets to the end of his letter and says, OK, now you've got to apply it. Now you've got to live it. And so we've been going through Romans 12 and 13 where Paul in the letter to the Romans says, here's how you live it. How do you live your Christian life? Paul says, this is your reasonable worship. I'm hoping some of you are here. You live it by being humble, not considering yourself too highly, by playing your part within the church, by being loving to other people. And then you do those same things in society. As you have opportunity, you're humble and you love and you serve. That is the Christian life. Romans chapter 12. That is your spiritual, reasonable worship. You see the same thing in Ephesians, Colossians. And it's all about the church. Really, almost as soon as Paul comes to apply, how do you live like a Christian? Well, it's like being a Christian in church, loving one another, being unified, putting the needs of the other before your own needs. The letter to the Hebrews is one of the most theologically complex letters in the New Testament. It all keeps on saying, looks at the Old Testament and says, look, Jesus is better. Jesus fulfills, Jesus is better. It gets to the end of it after this long, long argument and it calls everyone to worship. Hebrews, Hebrews, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken... Let us be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. There is the call to worship at the end of Hebrews. And then the writer goes on to apply it. Keep on loving one another as brothers. And he goes on through the whole of chapter 13 with very practical instructions about Christian living. Not once in chapter 13, just like not once in Romans 12 or 13 or Ephesians 6 and 5, not once is there a call to evangelism, to mission. It's all about being who you are, being the bride of Christ. Living the righteous, pure life that God's called you to. Hebrews, oh, I'll leave that one. And you, Jesus said to his disciples, he's got his disciples' command. A big command, right? We had to talk about the Great Commission. What about the great new command? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another 
as I have loved you. This is the new command. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. You get that, the big new command? Be the bride of Christ. Be who you are. See, we are a community formed and shaped by the grace of God. We are to live by that grace. Therefore, we have to say, out with the law, out with the rules. And any law that comes along and says, you must do, 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 is not of grace. It's just another thing I've got to do, got to do, got to do, got to do. In with grace. Be the bride. Be who you are. Just be a community of love, a community of worship, a community of prayer, a community of joy and mercy and compassion. There's all the difference in the world between, between the law and grace, between do and be. Let's get rid of do. We have to do something for God. No, no, no. The New Testament says you have to be something with God. And if you want to do, we'll do with God. Don't do for God. Be who you are. The good wife will possibly, I don't want to be sexist in my things, I could have picked on the good husband, but we're talking about brides. The good wife could possibly cook and clean and bear children and be a comfort when her husband comes home from work and decorate the house. They're all good things to do. But you don't want your wife doing it because that's the law. Well, that's the law in this house. Now you want her to do that as an overflow of love, don't you? Because I love you, because this is us. This is our relationship, and I'm happy to serve. And I care. B comes before and controls what we do. B comes first for the children of God. I'm giving four talks on mission. This is where mission starts. And if you get this wrong, all you'll be doing is doing painfully for yourself and for others. It starts with B. With us as a church, where we are with God. Mission doesn't start with some future event with some future prospect, with some future great sacrifice for that day to come. Mission starts today. Mission starts now. Mission starts with being who you are in Christ. Now. All day, every day. I know it's kind of counterintuitive, but it's so powerful. Be before you do. Because there is the power. You are not a megaphone for Jesus. You are not an NBN cable for Jesus and the gospel. You, as part of a church, are the bride of Christ. You are the body of Christ. You are the temple of God. You are a son or a daughter in the family of God, saved by the sacrificial love of Jesus. Your primary calling is to glorify God 
by being who you are in Christ. Your primary calling is in the heavenly realms to manifest the almighty wisdom of God, that he could save and gather and unify a people like us. Oh, you might say, well, but what about, the, what about the Great Commission? It's still there. What about Acts chapter 1, verse 8? What about, what about, what about mission? Don't they matter? Well, of course they matter. They're in the Bible. But making Jesus known is not the new law. It's to flow out of who we are in Christ. It's to be motivated by love, motivated by love, not duty. Making Jesus known must be motivated by love and not duty. And if you're doing it out of duty, I tell you, you'll be doing it with no power. And you'll be doing it with no joy. What are you doing it for? If you're doing it out of duty, you've got to get to know Jesus better. You've got to know his love more. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You're a city on a hill. Let your good deeds shine before men so that they may see them and praise your Father in heaven. Be busy about being. You've got to let the glory of God shine. We're not like, mission is not like meat in a mincer. Like we've got this message in our little church. Into the world. We just let the light shine. And the light shines because it's light. Don't hide the light, let it shine. <coughs> Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippians is wonderful in this regard. He writes to the Philippians, for verse 127. He says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the good news of Jesus. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit. See that unity? Contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Working for the good news in our unity. As we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Chapter 2 verse 14. Do everything without complaining or arguing. What's that got to do with the mission? Do everything without complaining or argument so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold forth the word of life. Did you see how long Paul took to get to as you hold forth the word of life? Don't argue. It starts with don't argue and complain. Be unified. Be blameless in a wicked generation as you shine. And then the word of life is seen because you're holding it forth. It's part of the shining. 
You're not out there throwing the word of life out there. Hey, you're not out there shoving it down people's throats to use that phrase that we get accused of. We're being and holding and shining like stars in the universe. 1 Peter 2, same message. These are some of those ones that you might have thought, oh, what about these verses in 1 Peter? They're about mission, aren't they? Well, let's have a look. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. Speaking to Christians, you are a chosen people. Speaking to a church, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. You are this so that you might shine his praises. A little bit further on, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives amongst the pagans that they may may accuse you of doing wrong. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Be who you are. Let your light shine. Our church is to be radiant and pure and spotless as a bride of Christ. We actually have a church vision statement. After the mission statement comes the vision statement. Our church longs to be a caring community because church is vital and love within church is vital. Passionate about what's number one? Knowing Christ Jesus. And then as we know him, becoming more like him. And then making him known. Now you might think that statement's really just going through the boring stuff, heading for the big one, making Jesus known. But the important stuff's at the start. Caring community, church, as Jesus meant it to be, the bride of Christ, passionate about knowing Jesus. There's the power, and so that we become more like him. And there's the power to shine so that he can be made known. Tertiary or quadrutary, whatever the word is, outcome. B is primary. So then what is mission? Well, David Bosch, a South African writer on these things, says, mission is more and different from recruitment to our brand of religion. It is, instead, alerting people to the universal reign of God through Christ. Mission is alerting God, people to the universal reign of God through Christ. Mike Frost, who's a vice principal and quite a feisty fellow at um, Moreland College, I've, lots I could disagree with him on, but he's, he's always banging the drum on this. Mission is univer- announcing, declaring... Well, let me get his words instead of trying to remember them. Mission is both the announcement and demonstration of the universal reign of God in Christ. I don't know how many times I've read or heard him say that. But what does it look like, this announcing the universal reign of God? Well, I think we had hints of it, if you were here last week, from Romans chapter 13. We live in the intersection of the time. The kingdom has come, Jesus has risen from the dead, but he hasn't returned and brought in his kingdom in its fullness. We live in this overlap. And last week we read that Paul was saying, wake up, get out of bed, get dressed for the day because you, the bride of Christ, you live in the day. You live in the kingdom, in this time, in this wicked world. But as you live in this middle time, 
You ought to be kingdom people dressed for the day. Living out the kingdom. So that people can see the kingdom to come. Mike Frost uses this analogy. We are like a movie trailer. You know, you go to the movies. Sit through three or four. For me, I'm pretty cynical. Four, three or four boring um, trailers before the movie starts. If the trailer has done its job. I don't know that it's ever happened. I will turn to Anna and say, oh, we should see that movie. But maybe there's other people in the cinema saying, you know, we should, I wouldn't mind seeing that movie. You know, churches, we are to be a movie trailer. They should be able to see us and they should in a sense be able to pick up what the kingdom's like. Maybe even some of the best bits of the kingdom of God. And, and they should be able to say, I wonder what world they come from. I wonder what makes them like that. Maybe I wouldn't mind being there. Because they see the church of God. They see, if you like from last week, the dawn breaking. They see the light shining. The universal reign of God in Christ coming into our world. We are to be a trailer of the new Jerusalem. Which means our church... What's the new Jerusalem going to be like? What's the new heavens and the new earth going to be like? The kingdom of God. Our church should be a place of love and mercy, of peace and reconciliation, where unity and diversity is expressed and rejoiced in, because it doesn't divide, it unites. We should be a community of praise and worship. One day, Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why not today here? Because we're to be a break-in of the community. You cannot do that as a lone ranger. You cannot do that without church. However it looks, whether it looks like this, whether it looks like 3,000 people or whatever it is on their one service at Hillsong followed by another service. Whether you're at Rockdale Anglican or Wagga Presbyterian or Galaganban Church of Christ. It should be a community of the kingdom to come. Communities on mission. Get this. Communities on mission because they are being... And as they be, they exhibit the unexpected and unashamed universal reign of God in Christ. They announce it and they live it. Boy, churches have got a long way to go. Our church has got a long way to go. So the, the big challenge is we need to be relevant. And I've heard this, you go to a church growth conference, you might even hear this, you need to be relevant. Your church needs to be relevant. Let me tell you, we need to be relevant, seriously. It's really stating the obvious that we need to be relevant in this world. If not, our claim about the universal reign of God through Christ will pass by unnoticed. You all get junk mail. We had a lot of junk mail this week. Audi. I might be interested in a piece of furniture. Oh, that one's. But most of it's in the bin irrelevant 
And the junk mail people are hoping to give me one piece of relevant junk mail that I might stop. That's the game. We need to be relevant, otherwise we're junk mail in society. The measure of relevance. Church size. Bigger, better, more efficient. Music. Tie into the cultural needs of people. The, the way the past addresses. We've got hope with Johnny, but, you know, with me. That's just what happens. I try. Audiovisuals, like pictures during your sermons. That's relevant, right? Hipster beards. You know, if I could even grow a beard, I might think about a hipster beard, but... Hipster beard, skinny jeans. Clothes from Lowe's. Oh. How do we get relevant? Drink coffee. But not that, not that decaf or that instant stuff. That's not relevant, people. You've got to spend money on your coffee. Let me tell you how we, we need to be relevant. Let me tell you what relevance is, as I think about it. Relevance is the size of the gap between what you profess and how you behave. Relevance is entirely dependent upon the size of the gap between what you profess, what you say, what you believe, and how you behave. And it doesn't matter if you've got glasses as big as this, as thick as that, and a jacket that's too tight, and pants that are too big, If that gap is small, but what you profess and how you behave is matching up, you are relevant. People will listen. They may not agree. They may even give you a hard time, but you're relevant. You'll, you'll stand out. I don't care if you've got a hipster beard and skinny jeans and a cool T-shirt with nothing on the front. If that gap is large and your music's fantastic, you are junk mail. And you know that's true. You're irrelevant. Why would I listen? You're, talk, you're singing about the universal reign of God in Christ, but there is nothing in you that suggests there's any validity in any of that. Straight into the bin. When the gap is small, there is power in the message. You don't have to blow it up. Just get the gap small so that what you believe is how you behave. There is great, great, great power. One of the great miracles not recorded in the Bible of the Christian church is how the church grew so fantastically in those early centuries after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Or even if you don't believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus, how did this Christian movement ever get started in the Roman Empire these people have no power many of the people who believe a slave class how did the church grow so enormously over the whole empire and beyond it's a miracle they weren't trying to leverage senators and get you know the seats of power they were getting persecuted they were getting thrown to lines they were losing their jobs 
Maybe, maybe it was because of the great missionaries, like Paul was a great missionary. Maybe they had lots of great missionaries. Maybe they uh, developed some strategic plans for mission growth. And they worked really hard at having culturally relevant churches. They did studies about the sort of music people would like in their Roman churches or their Greek churches. Making sure that with every church there was enough parking for your chariot. So you could get in and, and, and in that church there was a program for every member of the family so they'd all come along and be happy. Well, they didn't use any of those tactics that we might want to use. They used unfair tactics. They used the tactics of B. Emperor Julian in the middle of the 300s which is the 2nd century? 3rd century? 4th century? Middle of the 4th century? He was frustrated because these Christians were growing and he wanted people to come back to pagan worship because that's Roman. That gives the empire more control. And these Christians, they got Jesus as Lord. And he tried to do it by force. He wrote this. He said, atheism, which by which he meant Christianity because they said, they're against the gods, he was saying, because they only worship the one God. He says, atheism has been specifically advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers. Unfair tactics. And through their care for the burial of the dead. When no one else wanted to get sick by burying these people, Christians were burying them, giving them dignity. It is a scandal, he writes, that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar. And that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. See, what Julian is saying, the emperor is saying, these Christians are using unfair tactics. They're caring for the stranger. They're loving the stranger. They're sacrificing for the stranger. And they're growing. That is, and I can't get my own people to do that. No wonder no one's worshipping Zeus anymore. Unfair tactics. We are called to unfair tactics. To being countercultural, spirit empowered, lovers of the world. Lovers, particularly in church. So that every moment, every one of us is on mission as a missionary, and the light is shining. Declaring the universal reign of God in Christ. Whether you're working in an office on accounts, whether you're serving people as a doctor, whether you're fixing cars, whether you're writing assignments, whatever you're doing on mission, raising kids on mission, on mission, because you are being who you are, within community, and when people see that community, they say, wow, I wouldn't mind living where they live. Shining like stars in the universe as you hold forth the word of life. That is where mission starts, and I believe that's where mission ends. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Father, help us to live for your glory. Help us to be who we are. Help us to be beers, Lord. Keep us from doing. Help us to rest in you and know the Lord Jesus Christ and be 
become, so that we might become more like him and then make him known. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, John. Mission being. Uh, I must confess that you know, there are nuggets of information and nuggets of things that I need to process. And if you're like me, um, that um, you know, you've been praying about it this whole week and, and come back for the uh, next few weeks uh, as we go into the series. I invite you to stand uh, as we're going to sing our last two songs. What the Lord has done in me and the saving one.